for joining me, Pete Holterman, for the Credentials Only Podcast, where you are introduced to people who work in sports. Today's guest is Melissa Beasley, the Director of Operations for the Cross Country and Track and Field teams at the University of Georgia. Melissa's role is varied, but planning every last detail when it comes to her team's travel is a very big piece of her job. So I was going on vacation a couple of years ago, and one of my coworkers says, so do you have an itinerary when you go on vacation? And I said, actually, I do. By handling all the affairs related to the operations for the team, Melissa proves to be a great asset to the coaching staff. I'm handling the administrative stuff, and the coaches can focus on what they need to do, which is coaching. And my boss does a great job of kind of describing our, our team as a, um, a mini corporation. He's the CEO, and I'm his COO. It is not lost on Melissa that she is the face of not just the program, but also the university as she encounters so many people the team needs to work with. Those brief interactions are the ones that are going to follow. Those are going to be the most poignant interactions. And if you are polite and nice, that's going to go a long way, as opposed to if you're kind of rude and snippy, then, you know, it, it just won't. You know, my mom always said you get more bees with honey than with vinegar. During this episode, Melissa will also share advice for anyone, particularly students, who may be interested in working in college sports. And I just tell people, you know, try to get an internship, see what interests you, because there's, you know, so many different roles and responsibilities um, to make an athletic department go round and round. Our conversation is coming up, but before we get started, don't forget you can visit credentialsonly.com to see the show notes for this episode and get more information on what we discuss. Also, if you are enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to leave in rating or review wherever you are listening. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Melissa Beasley, the Director of Operations for the University of Georgia's cross country and track and field teams. Melissa, thanks so much for joining me. I, I wanna start by asking you, what happened on the way to the 2020 SEC cross country championships in Baton Rouge? Oh my goodness. Um, so this year has just been a whirlwind. And of course we get to the situation where we're, we're preparing to take our team to the cross country championships. And surprisingly enough, there's yet another hurricane about to hit the coast, the Gulf coast. And so um, maybe a day or two before my coach came in and he said, you know, I think it was Zeta or I can't remember who it was, which one it was, but there's a hurricane heading toward Baton Rouge. And I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of been watching that, but it's not going to affect us. And so long story short, we ended up preparing for the worst and hoping for the best, but our preparedness, preparedness for the worst worked out. We actually started reaching out to our bus company in advance, thinking that if our flight canceled, we had um, the bus was willing to take us half the way to Baton Rouge. And then we would switch buses to our Louisiana bus and they could just meet us kind of in the middle. Um, so it, it just all worked out. I got up about six o'clock that morning and, um, and I didn't even get a notification. I'm not a big Southwest flyer. I just happened to check the status of the flight. The flight was at two and it said it was already canceled at six in the morning. So then I just went into, um, reaction mode and started reaching out to folks, shooting text messages to the bus companies saying, okay, what we prepared for yesterday is actually happening. Flights canceled, um, reaching out to the coaches, coaches are telling the athletes, you know, our, two-hour flight is now going to be a 10-hour bus ride. And then we also then started looking at our routing and saying, well, we can't, you know, we don't need to go through New Orleans. We need to look at some alternative routes. And so we end up going a little out of the way through Alabama 
and into Jackson, Mississippi, and then down that way, just to kind of avoid the heart of the storm, which I mean, you know, by God's grace, we did. And it was awful from what I saw in New Orleans took a, a, almost a direct hit. And we, we only got maybe an hour's worth of rain in our 10 hour trip. <laughs> and as director of operations, this is pretty much all you to figure out, isn't it? This is a hundred percent your problem. It is a hundred percent. You know, the coaches will say, Hey, by the way. And then I'm like, you know, I, I try to be anticipating and paying attention to the news and, and the weather and, you know, always having a backup plan, but um, it's no different than what we went through on March 13th when the NCAA canceled the um, NCAA championships, when we were sitting in Albuquerque and the whole time, I'm just thinking, how am I going to get 40 people home from New Mexico um, are they going to shut the airports down? And, and so it's always just a night. A, it's not a nightmare. It's a fun problem. I love being able to problem solve. So that's why I love my job. Yeah. You, you, so I knew this story because you posted on social media about it. And you, you uh, this is a direct quote from your post. Crazy as it sounds, I live for these moments. You're nuts. It, it, Who it's lives amazing. for that? Well, it's awesome. <laughs> I am crazy. I will say it. I am. I'm a hundred miles an hour and I love to have a zigzag in the road versus a straight path. <laughs> it, this is just in your DNA. This is just who you are, huh? I, you know, and I never really thought about this way. People always ask me, I'm just a planner. And so I was going on vacation a couple of years ago. And one of my coworkers says, so do you have an itinerary when you go on vacation? And I said, actually I do like I plan everything out I send it out to everybody I'm like this is what we're doing you know and it's literally by the day not necessarily by the minute like with a, with traveling with um with a sports team but I do plan you know we're going to do this on this day we're going to do this on this day and and I share it with everybody and here's the websites and go check it out and you know I just I like to plan and organize and so you know when I come to work you know no day is ever the same here at the University of Georgia <laughs> okay but if you like to plan it would seem that disruptions <laughs> to the plan would be your worst nightmare, but no. I, but I live for the disruption because then I'm like, ooh, okay, so now what do I do? So now I've got to have a backup plan. And, and now instead of, you know, ordering food here, I've got to order food here. And, and then we're going to, you know, the bus is going to arrive at this time so that we can hop off and grab food. And yeah, it, it's a weird, I mean, I'm literally sitting on the bus the whole time people are sleeping. I'm on my email. I'm doing spreadsheets. And I mean, it's just, you know, once we get to the track meet, I, I just sit there, but it's, it's everything getting us there and, you know, any disruptions or any craziness that happens on the, on the way there. But, you know, then I just sit back and relax once the meet starts and then wait for it to all start over again on the way home. Whirlwind, crazy disruptions, all very applicable in 2020 with what the COVID pandemic has done to so many industries, including sports. And, there have been some stories just in the past couple of weeks of, of people who in roles similar to yours, BYU traveling across the country on three days notice to play Coastal Carolina in football or Stanford being on the flight out of California, learning that they won't be able to go home because of new quarantine procedures in Santa Clara County and having to figure out how to survive in North Carolina for an extra week. As you see these stories, is there commiseration with these colleagues, admiration? You just sit there and nod and go, mm, I feel you. Yep. I totally understand it. And, you know, I, I sit back and I'm like, wow. I mean, I, I'm that crazy person that, you know, when someone tests, I think, I think it was a baseball when it first happened with major league baseball. And I think it was the Marlins were up in Pennsylvania or Philly for a, uh, 
a game and one of the guys tested positive. And so my first thought is, well, how are they getting that guy home? And, you know, where they've got players that have tested positive. I'm like, so what happens? And then they say, well, we're going to bus them home on sleeper buses. I said, well, what bus company would they be using? I don't want to use that bus company. I need to make sure I figure that out. So those are the logistics that I, I just, I can't, like most people can just zone that kind of stuff out, but then my wheels start turning. I'm like, well, what would I do in that situation? Or, you know, how would it, how would that affect me and how would I react to it? So I wish I could just sit and relax, but that's definitely not my DNA. <laughs> you are managing the operations for cross country and track and field at the university of Georgia. Mm-hmm. How many people at the university of Georgia do an operations role for a specific sport or a couple of sports within that athletic department? You know, it's actually, this position has become very um, popular in maybe the last five or so years. And it was told to me when I left USA Track and Field, there's a new role specifically for track, but it's across the board. Um, A lot of non-revenue sports now all have director of operations. So, you know, for football, you're going to have a director of operations and maybe five or six people that support that person. And, you know, when I talked to them about the logistics that they do, it's insane. Um, But then now basketball obviously has director of operations, but then the the non-revenue sports, the swimming and diving, the track and fields, gymnastics, they all created these positions where it becomes a support position for the coaching staff takes a lot of responsibility off the coaches so that I'm handling the administrative stuff and the coaches can focus on what they need to do, which is coaching. Um, I kind of liken it. And my boss does a great job of kind of describing our, our team as a, um, a mini corporation. He's the CEO and I'm his COO. So he's managing everything that he needs to manage from the whole team perspective. But then I'm kind of the operations person and, you know, kind of overseeing all the little things to get, you know, 70 people to where they need to go. And, you know, track and field is, is a unique sport because there are so many different um, event groups and, and moving parts as opposed to just doing director of operations for gymnastics and showing up at a gymnastics meet and then leaving after that gymnastics meet. It's something that you guys have a lot of at Georgia. I would guess it's pretty unique, though, to the Power Five conferences, you know, SEC schools that you guys have that many different operations people. How prevalent is it in other levels of college athletics? Um, so, yeah, I agree. You know, all, most Power Fives all have director operations with all their sports. And then when you look at, um, we were on a call last night with some colleagues and, you know, I think Louisville's head coach was on because he doesn't have a director of ops. A lot of the stuff he handles as the head coach. And then he, um, I believe delegates that information down to his assistant coaches. And there were some other smaller programs where it's an intern that is helping out in the program, or a lot of times in track and field, it's, it's part of the responsibilities of the assistant coaches to, to do the operations role. So we're very fortunate in the SEC. Um, I know the Big Ten has a, a fair amount of director of operations and, and all the other power fives, but the SEC is probably, you know, we've set the bar pretty high. And, and I think everybody else is always trying to keep up with us. <laughs> so let's talk through some of what you have to do. Travel is probably a very big part of it. And you've mentioned mm-hmm. from 40 to 70 people are part of this traveling party. What is your responsibility for moving all of them around? Uh, so from, from the start of the trip, I mean, I'm, I'm doing the buses. And now with COVID, you know, we can go a 56-passenger bus is not a 56-passenger bus. It's a 27-passenger bus. So um, we're, we're doing buses to get the team to the venue to practice. And then the coaches take over. I'm uh, coordinating the hotels. I'm doing 
any meals that we're going to have either on site or um, if we're going to have them delivered to the team. Um, if we're not doing meals, you know, pre-COVID, we would do per diem. So I would be getting, uh, you know, a fair amount of cash out of the bank a couple of days in advance and, and scheduling how much money everybody's going to get um, in accordance to our trip to make sure that they're able to eat and, and have per diem money. So, um, you know, from the moment that we start, we leave campus, I'm kind of just you know, passing out money and, and making sure that they've got their itinerary and, you know, knowing what time the shuttle buses are leaving, coordinating with the bus driver, making sure the bus driver knows we're going to the track, we're not going to the hotel, um, paying the bills when we get there, if it's an entry fee or any kind of fees that we have to pay, um, making sure the kids have, the, the student athletes have their uniforms, working with our equipment department to make sure that, you know, everyone has um, their competition uniforms, carrying a massive crate that has backup uniforms in it because inevitably someone's going to forget something. So just always being two steps ahead of what needs to be done and anticipating what has, what's going to occur that day. And yeah, it, it's a whirlwind. So some of it, I just think like the logistics, I know when I travel, just the simple things of like <laughs> checking in for the flight and checking in at the hotels and things like that. Are you able to do that then in mass for the, your whole traveling party? Yes. So we're very, um, what we do, if we're traveling commercial, then I usually will check the team in the day before. Um, we do a group ticket, which then gives me group leader um, privileges. So then I can go in and I can see everybody's name. I can select everybody, check them all in, um, print their boarding passes, which is actually a great way for me to make sure everybody's on the bus because I'm giving out their boarding passes. So I know if I'm missing someone. And then um, once we get to the airport, usually Delta's great. And Atlanta, I usually call ahead, let them know that, and they know, they say they know we're coming when they have big groups. So we'll, um, we'll get there. I'll be the first one off the bus. I usually have someone grab my bag and I'm already at the counter saying, okay, here comes, you know, my 50 people. Um, we get them in, we get them checked through. I pay for whatever excess luggage that we have. And I just send them on their way to baggage claim. So, or I mean, through security. So yes, yeah, so when I travel alone, it's actually kind of weird because I'm always looking around like, am I forgetting something? <laughs> and then hotels are great as well. Um, usually in advance, they know we're coming. I'll shoot them, I'll call them and say, we'll be there at this time. They actually will pre-key all, you know, 25, 30 rooms, have names on them, Wi-Fi information in there, meal vouchers if we're doing that. And then um, between me and a couple of our managers, you know, again, first person off the bus, I grab the keys and I just start passing them out get them on the elevator and get them up to their rooms. And then I had hit the bar. <laughs> <laughs> you, you kind of alluded to this earlier track and field in particular is a little bit different. You're not going and playing a three hour game and then going home. You're often there for multiple days and it's not a three hour thing. It's an all day thing. So how does that change what you have to do? Uh, so for me, um, what we do and this, I, I just kind of adopted what was already being done here at the University of Georgia, but it's very similar to other universities. Um, we, so we set an itinerary. We have to schedule buses that are running throughout the day because, you know, we have to work with the event coaches to know what time each kid needs to be, which time they need to be there in order to start their warm up for their competition. So we've got a competition time, their warm up time, and then we back that up to the shuttle time. And then we also on the back end have shuttles going back to the hotel because, you know, they don't want to be there all night either, possibly, because they may have another competition the next morning. So couple that with um, meals, which are key. I mean, they eat a lot. So I, I'm coordinating getting meals delivered to the venue. And then I literally will sit there and, you know, they, 
again, their nutrition is kind of predetermined according to when they compete. So I could be sitting with food all afternoon because someone may not eat until after their competition or, you know, it's just kind of catering to them and making sure that they've got everything they need so that all they have to do is worry about competing. And so it is, it's an all day thing, get to the track about nine in the morning and, and cycle them through the day. We will get a lunch delivered. We may get dinner delivered. We may get a snack delivered. We may have, um, and then if there's a problem with the bus, then I'm on the phone with the bus saying, why haven't you left the hotel or you missed somebody? So um, sometimes I'm putting out fires from the venue. But again, it, it's just always a lot of moving parts and an all day thing. I think in all sports, the attention to nutrition has really grown. And whereas maybe not that long ago, you know, there's a Chick-fil-A in town. You can just get the platter of Chick-fil-A and, and hand it out. Mm-hmm people are probably a lot more fine tuned on what they're eating. Does that make it hard for you to then try to cater for a group in mass, especially when they're not all eating at the same time? So, so our coaches, and I think most coaches are very particular about what they put in their body. So we've got a pretty set um, rotation of places that we'll eat at Zoe's kitchen Tzatziki's. Um, I'm not a, I won't say the C word, but I will do like a, a Qdoba. I don't like the other <laughs> place, but, um, but I won't bash it on, on the podcast. But what we do is we actually have a, a great setup with a company called Teamworks. And so Teamworks is the way it's, it, they have an app. And so basically all your information is filtered into that app. And that's how we communicate with our team. I can send bl- email blasts to the team through Teamworks. I can create a travel party so that just the people on that trip are getting my email and I can say, hey, lunch is here. But what they do that's great and what we at the University of Georgia do, we let the athletes choose what they want to eat. So I'll say, okay, today we're having Jason's Deli, um, you know, and I'll send them a, a link probably three days before we leave. And here's all of our, our nutrition for the week. So pick, you know, your Jason's Deli for this day, pick your McAllister's for this day, and they can choose, you know, I give them a list of items they can choose, and then they can customize it, or if they don't want cheese or mayo, um, we try to, you know, again, give them as much autonomy to choosing what they want to eat, but giving them good choices, like I'm not going to give them bad options, I'm going to give them healthy options. And then, um, and then just, you know, it's great, it creates a little spreadsheet, I send that off to the restaurant. And then they take my money and they bring me food. So technology is amazing. <laughs> I, I, I look back to when we were, when we were back in the day and, you know, I don't, I don't know how people could have done this job pre-technology, pre-cell phones, pre-internet. Um, it's just, it's, it's a totally new world. You've talked about working closely with the coaches on the specifics related to the team, but there are other departments within the athletic department that you probably have to mm-hmm. interact with. What are some examples of that interdepartmental coordination where you've got to facilitate getting them to do what they need to do with these student athletes? That's a great question. Um, and that's a lot of what I do is I build uh, relationships and I am kind of the go-between with our sports information department, making sure that they've got, you know, everyone, there's a distribution list of our itinerary from sports medicine so that they know, you know, who's traveling and when to academic um, services so that we can make sure that, you know, everyone that's on the travel list is make sure that they're set from an academic standpoint. Um, Equipment in case we do need to deal with any equipment issues or making sure everyone has a a competition uniform if they haven't already received one. 
as well as I'm just trying to think who else is on the list um, and nutrition. I mean, we talked about them earlier, but you know, nutrition, they actually create little goodie bags and they're customized for each athlete. So as soon as they get that itinerary of our travel party, they're going through and they're starting to, you know, finalize what's going to go in their goodie bag um, to make sure that, that they have what they need for their event. And they will give them, you know, kind of a guideline of you want to eat this, you know, pre-race, you want to eat this post-race. And so um, the day, you know, pre-competition day. So they're really attentive here. And I think, you know, I'm kind of the middle person that's making sure that the wheels are turning, that everybody knows what's going on because I mean, communication is key um, when you're dealing with 50 to 60 people and moving them and, and just making sure that everyone knows, you know, kind of what the, the plan is for our sport. And then obviously on a, from a, um, a business office perspective and compliance perspective, you know, I've got to make sure that our, you know, compliance is aware of everything that we're doing and our travel plans. And then the business office, you know, they pay our bills. So I'm dealing with them on a regular basis, either requesting money on the front end or settling up my expenses on the back end. And so I, I, I touch so many different departments in addition to the coaching staff. But again, it takes the, the pressure off of the coaches and our head coach. Um, so he's not having to get those phone calls that something wasn't done properly or someone wasn't notified that, you know, this person wasn't making the trip. So I'm glad you mentioned the compliance piece, because that is something that you do need to factor in because there are a lot of rules and even specifics when it comes to travel related to how far from a venue you can go to entertain or have a meal and things like that. Do you need to know that rule book pretty well yourself? Oh, thank goodness. No. Um, we have a great compliance department here at the university of Georgia. So, uh, you know, honestly, um, they are, and I think they even want, they don't want you to feel like, you know, cause the rules change so much. So they want you to ask the question cause it may have changed this year from last year. So I think, you know, they are, they get a lot of questions and they don't mind it. And, so I feel very confident that, and we have a recruiting coordinator here that deals with our recruiting um, and, and all the recruiting rules that go, I need to understand them, but I honestly, you know, with everything else going on in my brain, I'm like, okay, I, I can delegate that responsibility to the person that's responsible for it. And I, I don't need to know it because I don't want to give bad information. If someone asks me, I'm just going to say, you know, I don't want to give you the wrong information. So I, I defer to the experts on that. Travel seems like it's a big part of the job. Let's not use 2020 as an example in a normal year that's not full of disruption mm -hmm. how many trips does the university take for cross country and track and field combined so i'm thinking i'm looking at the schedule that we had well yeah so probably like four or five cross country um track it looks like about and this includes conference and nationals uh track was eight indoors and then outdoors is more like seven or eight again. So between 15 and 20 trips across all three sports in a, so in a given year. Plenty to keep you busy, yet there still is time when you're back on campus. So what is the non-travel components of your work? That's a good question. Um, so, right. I think a lot of it is just kind of planning again, just preparing and thinking ahead. Um, right now, we, you know, we're really restricted as to student athletes being in the office. One of the things we, and I don't know a lot of people do know this, like student athletes get a lot of um, participation gifts. So if they go to the SEC championships, they get a gift for participating in the SEC championships. The same for the NCAA. So, you know, once we're getting there, I'm working to make sure that they are, are selecting the gifts that they want 
And then those gifts are going to get shipped to the office. So I'm going to work with them to make sure that, you know, they're receiving their gifts and distributing those or, um, you know, the various academic all-American plaques that our student athletes get. You know, we've got a, a room that has maybe, you know, 15, 20 plaques that are still sitting in there and I'll, I'll send them a message and remind them over and over again, you know, you need to come get this plaque. But um, it's just a lot of little logistical things uh, once we're on campus. Um, that it's just, you know, it's kind of quiet Monday through Wednesday or Thursday. And then, you know, by Thursday or Friday, we're, once we start traveling again, you know, then it all picks up again. But it's just uh, more administrative stuff. Again, working with the business office, thinking ahead, settling up invoices and expense reports and, you know, the mundane stuff that is so boring to me. <laughs> <laughs> what are there any tricks that you have for just keeping up with uh, the number of receipts you must have? I can't even imagine. And again, the technology, <laughs> I'm sure you just get emailed the folio from the hotel. So that's one less piece of paper to worry about. But when that McAllister's delivery comes and you're sitting at the track and you've got seven other things happening, do you ever get there back in the office and go, what in the world did I do with that one? <laughs> no, I am again, super um, anal. So I have like a little, uh, I think it's a Ziploc. It, oh no, I guess it's just a file, like a, a sheet protector, but it used to be a Ziploc folder. Um, but that's, that's my, that is with me all the time. That has cash in it, that has my credit card. It has all my receipts. Like if I lose that, I am in trouble. That's my, that's my go bag. So that way, when I get home, all my receipts are right there, my signing sheets, like everything. And I have a little binder that, so everything is kind of in that binder with, you know, our hotel contracts are, you know, food and beverage orders that we have set up, um, you know, the bus driver's numbers, everything is kind of in that binder. And that binder stays in my backpack, which stays on my, my person the entire time. I, I don't go anywhere without that backpack because that generally has a, a fair amount of money in there <laughs> and a, a lot of receipts. So that is my trick. And I just, I, and I, I kind of liken this back to my, even my USA track and field days. As soon as I get home Monday morning, I can't do anything until I settle up my expense report. I mean, it's, it may be $10,000 worth of receipts and cash that I need to, to um, settle, but I, I want that done and submitted as soon as possible. Cause I just don't want that hanging over me. And like you said, you know, I don't want in three days to be like, where's that receipt for $700 at? Cause I can't afford to give them my personal money. <laughs> so I don't want to ever be in that situation. So for me, it's just, you know, get it done as soon as you possibly can and, and move on to the next. There are a lot of people who you're going to come in contact with who it's going to be a very brief point of contact, but very crucial to the success, whether it's, you know, someone handling the baggage at the airport to the check-in counter at the airport, to the bellman at the hotel, the counter at the hotel, all the people you're ordering food from, all these different people. How do you put yourself in the best situation to not have any hiccups with all those different people you're going to encounter along the way in often thankless positions. Exactly. And I think that's the thing I try to, to take into consideration. And if we're going to have a bus driver for a week um, and we're in another city, you know, I want to try to give him, you know, a small token of our appreciation, a hat or, or just, you know, Hey, wear this while you're driving us, you know, just to say, thank you. Um, the hotel, I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with these folks, you know, for months in advance, a lot of times. And so it's nice to finally see a name with a face, but, you know, just doing something nice if I can, hey, I'm running out to get a coffee. What can I get for you or something? Just the little things like that at the airport, trying to put our best foot forward and making sure that we're representing, you know, the university 
as positively as we can. Because like you said, those brief interactions are the ones that are gonna follow. Those are gonna be the most poignant interactions. And if you are polite and nice, that's gonna go a long way as opposed to if you're kind of rude and snippy, um, then, you know, it, it just won't, you know, my mom always said you get more bees with honey than with vinegar. And again, a lot of the things that I've learned over my life now as I've gotten older, you know, pop into my head. And so I always just try to be nice and, and put a smile on my face and say good morning and thank you for your help today. And, and just trying to be super friendly to everyone I interact with. Um, because it, it, you know, even the people, the housekeeping people, I mean, everybody like, you know, we appreciate everybody that, you know, helps us get to takes care of us when we're trying to, to do what we do. How does your role change if the University of Georgia is hosting that event? Oh, that's a great question. Fortunately, I don't know that answer yet. We, we hosted one small cross-country meet my first year, and I had only been here maybe six months. So everything was pretty much done in advance. And then we do not have an indoor facility. So we had two outdoor meets that were scheduled, and we were in the planning process for them, but we didn't have they didn't come to fruition. But yeah, one of the good things here is Georgia has a great events and facilities division. So they manage a fair amount of the planning. And again, I feel like I'm just, you know, I'm making sure we have food. I'm making sure they have per diem, um, making sure that, I mean, it, it's just, you know, now I get to go home and sleep in my bed versus being on the road um, when we do host a home event. So it, it's nice to be on the road, but sometimes, you know, I mean, to be at home, but uh, it's very similar to what I do when I'm on the road. You joined Georgia in 2019 after working at the University of Alabama and personnel move between colleges all the time. Yet sometimes if it's in conference and rivals, you know, there's a little ill will. Was that at all awkward for you or was it all very, very easy and smooth? It was very cordial. Um, you know, Dan, Coach Waters at the University of Alabama, he gave me my start in college athletics. And so he was awesome. And, you know, when the opportunity came up and we talked about it and he said, you know, you've got to take this chance. I mean, it's a great move for you. And he understood and appreciated it. And we, you know, we do, we end up a lot of times right across the tent from each other. Our tents are set up at each other. Um, and so there's no ill will at all. Um, and I'm, I'm just as happy for them when they do well and they're happy for me. And, you know, I still send them texts and congratulate them um, and vice versa. So, you know, it's a very small family and, and we all just kind of, you know, we all stick together and, and look out for one another. You mentioned being on a call with some colleagues and kind of talking through operational things. I've had a chance to interview some other people in college athletics, and I know that there are associations for sports information directors and for marketing people and even athletic directors. Is there an association for operations people in college athletics? So not yet. Um, I think it, it may come. I, the position is such a unique position because every sport, it's so different. So we, through the U.S. Track and Field Coaches Association, we have created a, an operations symposium or an operations group. So they have a um, annual convention. It actually would have been this week in Denver. And so last night we did a symposium where um, we brought everyone together and kind of shared best practices um, as we plan for 2021. But that same group gets together during the college or during the coaches convention in conjunction with them. So we kind of break out and do our own sessions that are, are beneficial to us. Now I kind of, and I've mentioned this, you know, both at Alabama and Georgia, I feel like in, you know, from an operations standpoint, it's nice to collaborate with 
my colleagues in women's basketball or my colleagues in, in golf and tennis, because we are going to the same places. You know, if I go to a hotel and I really like it in SEC town, I'm going to let, you know, the other operations folks know that this might be, a, you know, something to consider if you're looking for it or, um, you know, vice versa. So we tried to definitely, um, I, I think we can definitely do a better job of collaborating across the board, but, you know, it is such a unique position. Everybody's just trying to keep their head above water. Sometimes it's hard to, to schedule a time to get everyone together, but, um, but I, I definitely feel like I can pick up the phone and call our football operations guy if I need something or if I have a question and, you know, our basketball folks and, and trying to work together with everybody. You spent more than a decade at USA Track and Field. When you started there, though, you were not doing anything related to operations. How did you break in with USA Track and Field? Oh, my gosh, that is a hilarious story. I actually found the job online. Um, I you know, I had gone back to Xavier after I left ESPN and I did an internship in college athletics back in sports information. And, and I love being around student athletes. And so it, it was a communications coordinator position with, with um, USA track and field. And so I said, well, this looks kind of interesting. I don't know anything about track and field, but you know, I'll apply for it. And a few months later, I get a neat call from them after I've already accepted another job and moved to, to Atlanta. And they, you know, asked me if I wanted to come interview. And in the course of that interview, they said, well, you know, do you have a passport? Because we have an event coming up in Chile in a couple of months, and, and you're going to be our communications coordinator with that junior team. And then, you know, after a couple of years, um, the relationship between USA Track and Field and USADA continued to develop. And USADA is an um, organizing committee for drug, or they're the oversight for um, anti-doping in the United States. And so, a position was created for me to kind of plan and deal with um, the day-to-day operations between our student athletes or our athletes, professional athletes and USADA. And so I guess that's where the operations started to come in because now I'm dealing with event planning, um, organizing volunteers when we're going to be at various events where drug testing is going to happen and and helping to um, recruit volunteers through the local organizing committee and, you know, then again, dealing with the student athletes and kind of becoming their, or the athletes and becoming their point person. So it kind of started there. And, you know, then I started traveling a lot internationally and, and I picked up a lot of operations experience that way and, and learned a lot from, um, from my predecessors. And so now I'm here. <laughs> so the anti-doping piece, it is something that's unique and, and it's not necessarily the most um, glamorous thing aspect of sport but it's really really important what are kind of the top line ins and outs of what you had to do uh, beyond as you said the volunteers and everything but working with the elite athletes to make sure that they were following all the guidelines uh so and i feel like that follows follows along the lines of compliance because i had to kind of i was kind of the interpreter of the rules um just because we had you know usa track and field we maybe had i'm trying to think 100 to 200 athletes in our drug testing pool. And so it would overwhelm USADA if they had to answer 200 questions from just USA track and field athletes. So for me, you know, when the rules changed, when the prohibited list came out, you know, anything that was going to affect our, our athletes, our professional athletes, I made sure I understood and knew it. So then I can, you know, communicate that information to them via publications, via emails, and then also making sure they know that if they've got a question, they can come to me and ask. And, and if I can't answer the question, I can find out the answer for them. But then also kind of just being that point person um, 
when we're at events that the athletes know, you know, Melissa's here. And so I am confident that she's going to make sure that, that they're not doing anything suspicious or, you know, they're not doing anything that, you know, isn't fair. Like she's looking out for my best interests. And, and that kind of actually uh, flowed over internationally. And again, it, you know, the whole bees with honey kind of played a big part of that because I've got to go and make friends with, you know, anti-doping agents around the world. And, you know, in a couple of days, I need to establish a relationship with them where they know, hey, this lady is trustworthy. And if I need anything for Team USA, or if I need to find an athlete, or, you know, if I'm having a problem with an athlete from Team USA, I can go to her and she's going to help me. And so, you know, for me that, you know, that's kind of how it goes. Like I just, again, was the frontline person that was going to try to, to be the buffer. You mentioned getting to be involved with events. You were a participant with not participant in actually an event, but you were with Team USA for Olympic Games. Which Olympics did you go to and what were those experiences like? Uh, so I was um, fortunate enough to go to three Olympics, Athens, Beijing, and London. And each experience was different. Um, Athens was, you know, the first one coming off of 9-11. So it, it was very overwhelming, you know, just... For me, too, it was hard because I'm the same age for the most part and, and younger in some inches, in instances as these athletes. And I have to have more of a professional level of you know, appearance. And I can't kind of if I'm hearing all these, you know, security briefings in the background. I can't really say, oh, my God, we're going <laughs> to this isn't good. But, you know, I've got to kind of keep my facade up that, oh, we're good. We're safe. Everything's good. So Athens was amazing from that. But again, it was just um, I don't. I think I slept a lot in Athens because I was just so overwhelmed and just making sure I didn't screw anything up. Um, Beijing was a, definitely a change because China is, um, it, it's a completely different country. I mean, the language is so different. The food is so different. Uh, logistically, it was just, it was a challenge um, for our, our team and just kind of getting everything going with them. And again, you know, when you're traveling with a team of U.S. athletes, there's a level of, per there's a level of, um, concern that something's going to happen to them. And especially in China, they, they wanted to protect us. I think they didn't want anything to happen to the team on their watch with any form of our team. So, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, just loss in translation moments with the Chinese, <laughs> if that's a nice way to say it. Um, we were happy to leave China. And then London was amazing. I mean, you, you, there's no language barrier at all. Uh, the English are amazing. They had a, a great setup. And, you know, that was when I finally felt like I knew what I was doing. I think that was the first time I actually stayed in the Olympic Village. Every other time I stayed at the off-site facility location that the U.S. Olympic Committee would set up for, um, for the overflow support staff. So I was in the village and, it, and that felt like a real Olympic Games. But it never, you know, I'll say it never feels like an Olympic Games for me because with track, we're on the back end of the Olympics. And so swimming goes in first, swimming and diving and so they're there for the opening ceremonies. We're never on site for the opening ceremonies. Um, sometimes we will send the, the athletes over to go, but staff is not there. And then we're there afterwards. And so by the time I get there, which is usually the first day of competition, I can't really enjoy or experience other Olympic events because I now have a 10-day track meet or a seven-day track meet that I need to, to, um, to manage and work with. And so I, I feel like that's probably the only thing that, you know, as I look back and regret that I didn't really get to experience um, the Olympic games across the board, but I did get to do a couple of closing ceremonies and, you know, that was, that was a lot of fun. 
Was your role at each of them on the anti-doping front or were you involved with more of the communications piece for some? So always anti-doping. Um, so I would get there and then any pre-competition testing that would happen, I would help with. And then I also was part of our advanced team. So we would generally go over a couple of days in advance. Um, my boss recognized that my need to shop. So I was always responsible for going out and scouting the local shopping mall um, where McDonald's was like. And so we literally would hand them a one sheeter when they would get there. Like, OK, here's how you get to the mall. Here's how you get to these food restaurants that are within walking distance or take the shuttle to get here. Here's Starbucks. And so there was a small group of us, maybe about four or five of us that would go over as the advance a couple of days before the team would start to arrive. And we'd set up the athlete lounge and, you know, I was responsible for snacks. So I made a lot of Costco runs, both domestically and internationally. Costco is very popular internationally. So, um, so I, I was, that was, that's why one of the things I enjoy the most drug testing was kind of an afterthought, but the setup and, and preparing for the team was, was a lot of fun every year. It's very clear where the operations bug was uh, <laughs> was planted when you were there. Um, it, the event life, though, wasn't only the Olympics. There's a lot of other, those are every four years, there's a lot of other events from trials to just other major events you were a part of. Mm -hmm. And as you're doing more and more of those events, is that really as you're, you're gravitating towards that operations piece? You know, maybe. Um, I don't know, like... I never really think of myself from an operations standpoint. I just think of myself as just the person that does everything. And I guess that is the operations <laughs> person. But I mean, when we're doing the world championships, like, you know, the world championships is very similar to an Olympic games. We're just not there as long, um, but still doing the advance, uh, preparing for the team to arrive, you know, greeting them at the airport, um, dealing with drug testing. We would do some athlete functions, kind of our annual meeting where we would bring, you know, a hundred or so athletes in. And so I would coordinate those, um, those meetings and agendas where we would, you know, as an organization, we would all come together, but we would have a, the athletes had their own specific um, sessions that they would uh, be a part of. So, you know, we would do some fun things, athlete retreats where we would kind of recognize their success. We actually, after the London games, um, one of my favorite things I got to do is uh, to coordinate a trip to the, to Disney world. Cause we were going to be in Jack. So we we're going to be in Daytona beach for our annual meeting. And so I said, well, why don't we take, you know, let's do something fun with the team. Why don't we invite the team and, and set them up and take them to Disney for a few days? And so we were right there. It was easy. You know, they fly into to whatever Jacksonville or Daytona. We bust them over to Orlando and then everybody just spends like a long weekend at Disney World. And, and that was so much fun. And then we kind of did some, you know, meetings and made it official. But then when they also got to participate in a parade at Walt Disney or at Magic Kingdom. And so for me, you know, those are, those are the fun things that you just can't put a price tag on or going to the white house. I mean, you know, so many fun things that I get to do with the team because of my role with USA track and field. When you're working, whether at Alabama or Georgia or USA track and field, you're doing behind the scenes work to put the athletes in the position to be successful. Your job is, is a success if they've arrived on time and been able to compete. Right. But do you take an extra level of satisfaction in how they compete? Are you emotionally very invested in the performance of the athletes? Oh, my gosh. That part right there, like, that was probably the hardest thing when I left USA Track and Field was the first world championships when someone wins their world championship for the first time and I wasn't there. And I've seen him progress to that point. That's the stuff that I love. I mean, just watching, you know, an Allison Felix at 15 years old go to the World Junior Championships, and she's not even the most important Felix there was her brother, Wes, who was the better athlete at the time. Allison was just a baby. 
Um, but then to watch Allison progress to where she got to in her world, you know, in her career, one of the most, you know, the most decorated female um, track athlete ever. And then, you know, and then even to take as far as, you know, then she gets married and she has a baby and it's like, oh my God, like where, you know, that's where I just, I love seeing that progression and, and being able to share in that, those, those special moments, I both on the track, on the field, and even in their personal lives. I mean, how many weddings have I gone to where I get to see them, you know, move on in their life to that, that next big step. So for me, that part is great. Um, and, and again, yeah, I never expected that that would be, uh, the role that I would take, but I do get a little emotional <laughs> nowadays. Do you feel that too at the, the college level, especially because you know you have a finite time with them? You know you're only going to get them for those four, maybe five years. And mm-hmm. oftentimes what you see coming in the door as a freshman and then where they are by their junior and senior year, you know, that that growth, especially now being a little bit older to be able to recognize that growth, mm-hmm. is that does that keep you young and keep you really engaged working in college athletics? It definitely keeps me I feel young. Well, no, I feel old because they have to help me do everything nowadays, but yeah, it's tough because I was at Alabama for two years and then I've been here a little over a year and a half. So I haven't had a progression yet where I haven't seen someone come in as a freshman and then get to their senior year. I have had, you know, their sophomore juniors and then all of a sudden they're graduating and they're moving on and, and they're either getting a job or they're going to try to pursue their goals professionally. And, and so, um, I do try to engage them and, and stay in touch with them and, and see how it's going to go. But, um, but I'm still waiting for that progression of how I do like the whole finite thing. Cause that was the reason why I kept staying at USA track and field. Cause the younger ones kept saying, well, you got to stay till I retire. You got to stay till I retire. And I'm like, you guys, I'm never going to get out of here at this point. <laughs> so with, tra- with here, yeah, they're still here after six years. We got a problem. <laughs> Your background is in communications. You studied communications, and then, as you said, you went to ESPN and then started in communications at USA Track and Field. Looking at the USA Track and Field experience, what was your communications function, and how did you maintain a little bit of hand in communications through much of your career there? So when I started, I was a communications coordinator, so I was kind of the low man on the totem pole um, supporting our communications staff. So I kind of helped out with our youth, our junior Olympics, um, our, our smaller events, kind of, I was the, the main spokes PR person that would travel with them and work with them. And then I would go in a supporting role for the world championships. Um, so I would get exposure kind of across the gamut, traditional sports information, doing a media guide, updating the website, following statistics. It was a lot different when I got to USA track and field and I'm only doing that for one sport versus, you know, when we were at Xavier and you're supporting basketball and volleyball and soccer and and a bunch of different sports. So it was nice to kind of just be able to focus my attention on um, one particular sport. And then when my role at USA track and field grew and I moved into um, the elite athlete department, you know, they were great because they let me continue to provide support um, through communication. So I was, I worked together with our communications department to do our elite beat, which was a a quarterly magazine that we sent out to all of our um, professional athletes that had everything they needed to know um, that was going on. But then it allowed me to continue to write. And I did our elite athlete handbook, which we sent out kind of like track for dummies, um, how to find an agent, how to, you know, here are all the drug testing rules. And so we would send that out to all the colleges. Um, We would give it to all the professional athletes. So I was able to continue my communications, continue to, 
to grow my communications skills, um, just more focused on our elite athletes. And even here now at the University of Georgia, I've kind of taken on our alumni newsletter. And so, you know, my boss is like, we got to get this done. I said, oh yeah, I can knock that out in a day or two. I mean, a newsletter, like that's nothing. <laughs> so, so we did our first newsletter and then just again, trying to engage our, our alumni and, and letting them know what's going on here at the University of Georgia and you know, I, I want to grow that as well so that we can kind of maybe try to take that to another level. So, you know, I kind of enjoy, it's just a little bit, a little bit of a change of pace when I can go and do some communications or some writing or, you know, and I, I still annoy everyone when I'm like, Hey, you know, that's wrong. Like, cause I, I can't not see a mistake, especially, you know, I mean, I'm the first one you're like, you know, Missouri spelled wrong or, you know, that's not the correct. And you know, that's it. The annoying part of me, but that was ingrained in me when I was in college. And, <laughs> and then it followed me to ESPN because you cannot have mistakes when you're working at the worldwide leader in sports. So for me, mistakes are, are a no, no. And so I'm always looking like, yeah, that that's not right. <laughs> what did you do at ESPN? So completely different from anything I've ever done. I was a um, production assistant and I cut highlights for sports center. So that was kind of how at ESPN, how you kind of get started. You, they hire you as a temporary position for seven months. I think it was seven or nine months. And they, um, they pay you very little money. They work you a lot. Um, it's a great first job. I can't argue with that. Um, but, you know, I would be assigned a game when I would come in on a Friday night or a Thursday night or Tuesday night. It could be, you know, the Reds and the the Brewers, and I'm going to log that entire game from, you know, the first pitch to the last out. And then I have to take that three hour game and turn it into a 30 to 40 second highlight, depending on, you know, where it's going to hit in the show and, you know, the level of interest in that, that game. So I did that for about two and a half years and decided that as much as I like TV, I, I don't know if I can sit in a dark room and stare at a TV monitor all day long. Um, but it was an amazing first job. Again, met a lot of amazing and fun people and got to do some fun things and, you know, lived in Connecticut for a little bit. And then I said, well, this was, this was a nice experience, but I don't think I could do this. I can't see myself doing this for the rest of my life. And I, I think that, you know, getting back into college athletics and, and around athletes is that's where my heart is. You've not run away from television production though. And you've <laughs> not only kept yourself involved in the media side, you've, kept yourself very involved in some major events. What have you been able to do kind of on the side, sprinkling it in, <laughs> mix it up a little? My side hustle. Yes. Everybody calls me, you know, I always got something going on. So while I was in Indianapolis, um, I worked with a, a young lady who was connected with Jim Nance. And so she said, I know you just came from ESPN, but would you be interested in, you know, helping out CBS sports? And they come to town for the NFL. They come to town for college basketball. And Indianapolis was a great town. They've always got something from a sporting event perspective going on in Indianapolis with the Purdue and IU and the Big Ten. So I said, yeah, sure. And it just kind of worked with my, my work schedule that March was a downtime for USA track and field. So it started out with me, you know, doing production assistant work with CBS um, at like March Madness, you know, first, second round or Selection Sunday or the Big Ten Championship. And it just kind of grew from there. And again, I think when you when you do the little things and people see that you're a hard worker and you're going to go above and beyond and, and you're always going to do it with a smile on your face um, and not give back slack when they ask you to do something people recognize that. And I was lucky enough to, you know, 
drive myself to the Super Bowl when it was in Detroit, but I was credentialed and they put me in a hotel and, and I worked for a week at the Super Bowl in Detroit or, you know, if Atlanta is having the final four and, you know, if I can get myself to Atlanta, well, you know, we'll give you, we'll hire you and we'll put you up in a hotel for 10 days. And so it always, like I said, was wor- it worked well with my work schedule that I was able to do it. And then um, from final fours and Super Bowls, it kind of just continued to grow. And then my relationship with CBS turned into a relationship with the NFL network or in a relationship with NASCAR and a relationship with NBC and a relationship with Fox. And so, you know, even now I'm fortunate enough to work every Falcons game here in Atlanta um, because between CBS and Fox, you know, every game that's on air, I, I have a relationship with those, both those companies and, and they'll call me and ask me if I want to work. And it's a nice little side hustle. I don't know, getting up at, now with COVID things are a little different because it's, you know, not just showing up at seven in the morning, it's showing up a couple of hours earlier to get a COVID test um, and then sitting and waiting until your COVID results are done before you can actually work. And, you know, I might be outgrowing that phase in my life, but <laughs> it's, it's been, I've seen a lot of sports in my day and, uh, and it's been a lot of fun. Just, you know, Super Bowls and Daytona 500s, like just who would have thought that 20 years ago when I got into this business? What is the work that you're doing when you're with CBS or Fox or at these various events? It is, it's actually, it's not even that difficult. It's just, and it's all about who you know. I try to take care of people now that I'm in graduate school with here at the University of Georgia because it's just, you know, literally I'll get to the game on a Sunday for Falcons, for example. And I literally might just stand in the parking lot and pass out credentials and parking passes for the first, you know, hour or two. And then once we get into the stadium or once I finally get into the stadium, you know, my usual role a lot lately has either been I'm going to be assigned to the broadcast booth. So as the runner for I'm a runner, which is a production assistant runner, you know, slash production assistant. So um, as soon as the announcers arrive at the stadium, I'm going to be the one that greets them. I'm going to escort them up to the announcer's booth because, you know, they are in a different stadium every week. So they don't know where they're going. Um, I'm going to escort them up to their announcer booth, make sure that there's, you know, water. I work with catering to make sure that their service has been delivered. That's been pre-ordered. I mean, everything's pre-ordered. I'm not making any decisions. I'm just facilitating. Um, And then I sit there and if they need something or, you know, if someone gets a bug for some ice cream, I know where to go find some soft serve ice cream in the stadium. Or if they need something from the press box, I can run up there. And then at the end of the game, you know, again, relationships make the world go round. You know, I work with local, the security that escorts our visiting coaches. Um, The visiting coaches will then also come back and get the announcers. And pre-COVID, it was a big deal because you've got 70,000 people and, you know, two banks of elevators. So the security people were key because they would call the elevator, make sure that our announcers were able to, to get on the elevator and, and get out because inevitably for a four thirty or, you know, a three thirty or four o'clock game that just ended, they've got a four forty five or five o'clock flight out of the Atlanta airport. So, you know, we can't stand and wait for the elevator because they've got a flight to catch in less than an hour. Um, so it's just those little things. And it, again, it, it's, it's not hard work at all. It's just being able to, you know, problem solve and be a nice and polite and, you know, making small talk when someone engages you and then just sitting in the back and, you know, watching the game unfold. Aside from the copy editing, it's on the operation side, it's pretty clear to see that thread through so much what you've done when it comes to the communications background though, aside from that copy editing, what has you seen, be beneficial to you in everything you've done, even though it might not be communications in 
its title? Relationships. I mean, for me, I think every relationship leads to something. And, and I will preach this, you know, as I used to hire interns, internships were key for me. I, I did internships all through college and, you know, every internship or every relationship that I've made has led to a position that I had with the exception of USA track and field, which is kind of random since that was my most, you know, the longest career or, or my longest tenure career. But when I was in Atlanta, I interned, um, for a local TV station in 96. And, and then that was when I met a producer from ESPN who said, hey, they're about to launch this new network called ESPN News. And you know, I know you wanna be on the, the front end of the camera, but if you wanna be back end of the camera or behind the camera, you know, there's some opportunities for you there. And, and that led to my job at ESPN. And you know, then I got the USA Track and Field job, which was, you know, like I said, crazy and, and very unexpected. But then the relationships that I built there with head coaches, with, um, athletes. I mean, it was a former athlete uh, who is now one of the assistant coaches at Alabama that led to my job. He reached out to me and said, Hey, we have an opening. Do you want, you know, are you interested? And if you are, you know, let me, let me go ahead and put your name out there. Um, Cause I think, you know, if that's what you're interested in, I think you'd be great at it. And then the relationship that I had with, you know, my predecessor here at Georgia, she came to me and said, I'm leaving. Would you want to come back to Georgia and be closer to your family, be closer to your sister? And so for me, every job that I've kind of gotten has been from a relationship and just impressions that I've made on people, you know, five or 10 years down the, you know, in my past. And I always tell people, um, you know, don't question why things are happening the way they happen. If you lose a job or if something doesn't work out, don't question it because at the end of the day, your path is predetermined and, you know, you just got to follow that path and it may take you here for two years and here for 10 years and here for five years, but, you know, just, just have faith in that path and the people that you're interacting with, because that's what's going to get you um, to where you're going to be. And working in college athletics, you're on a campus with thousands of students, and there are a lot of students studying the business side of sports. You working in the business of sports on a college campus, what would your advice be to those students who want to break in? Are there opportunities to dip their toe in the water right there on their campus that they may not be aware of? Definitely. And, and, you know, from my time at Xavier, I had no idea what sports information was. And I started as a freshman in sports information and you get to a college campus and you don't realize how many departments there are and how many opportunities there are for students. The equipment department has student workers, compliance has student workers. Um, each sport generally has a student manager or a couple of student managers. And, you know, for me, I was doing sports information for, for Xavier, I got to travel with the soccer team and that was so much fun. I'm like, I'm a part of the team, even though I wasn't, I kind of was, but as I tell people now, I'm like, go become a manager on a team. You're going to get all the same gear that the, that the student athletes are getting. Cause I'm handing it out. So, so you're going to get a ton of uniform gear. You're going to get per diem. You're going to travel. I mean, you're going to be a part of the team. You're on that list that we send to the, to all the professors that the academic department says, please excuse Johnny because he's on the track team and he's going to be going to these events, you know, and that manager is right there as a part of the team. And, you know, with basketball, I mean, you know, everybody sees the glamorous football, basketball, and I'm not taking anything away from that. Those are amazing sports. They pay for me to have a job. I can't argue that. Um, but don't forget about the little sports. Don't forget about the tennises or the swimming, diving, um, the track and field, because, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces. And I just tell people, you know, try to get an internship, try to go and, you know, circle around the business office, see what interests you, because there's, you know, so many different roles and responsibilities um, to make an athletic department go round and round. And, you know, it, the power five is definitely a, a difference. I mean, being in a power five, there's a lot more um, 
opportunities, but you know, even on the smaller programs, everybody's got a sports information office. Everyone has a compliance office. Everyone has, you know, equipment. So, and especially if you go and offer to do it for free because you want the experience, no one turns down free help. So definitely, you know, take a chance and ask the question because you never know when you're going to get, you know, a positive response. Are there things that those students could do to really maximize that opportunity to get that experience? That's the hard part. Um, I've had people that have just sent me emails from other schools saying, do you mind just talking to me for a little bit and giving me some advice? I saw your name on the website. And, you know, I bet they send 10 or 15 of those. And, and I don't know how many people respond to those. But, you know, like I said, take a chance. Send a bunch of emails. LinkedIn is the new, you know, connection now. So if you go and you intern and um, make connections within an athletic department or within a, you know, just a specific role, and then you get on their LinkedIn it'll be amazing to know how many people or, you know, it's crazy to know how many people I know. And so if I've worked with you or if I've worked with, you know, if you've worked with someone and they can attest or they can, you know, say, Hey, that was, they were a really hard worker. You know, they did the grunt work. They didn't mind. They always had a smile on their face. They showed up at six in the morning. Um, but you know, it's like six degrees of separation when, so I just continue to make those, um, those relationships and then just email. I mean, I, who knew like in this day and age with email, just send out a bunch of emails. And, and, you know, if you send out 10, two people might call you back and then you just go from there. I appreciate you taking the time to give that advice. Uh, I close every episode of credentials only with a segment called set pieces. These are a half dozen questions that everyone is subjected to. The first one, what are podcasts or newsletters that you're monitoring to keep yourself informed and stay educated? Um, so actually, I just this I just finished today my first semester of graduate school here at the University of Georgia, and so as a part of my sports management, they kind of introduced me to some new podcasts or um, blogs. And D One Ticker um, is a is kind of the end all be all of what's happening in college athletics across the board. So I um, I've subscribed to that one in Sports Business Journal. Um, those are, are great resources and they kind of are, are real-time information. So I need to get better about podcasts for sure, but um, blogs and, and just getting onto listservs of different um, uh, email blasts are probably the key for me to, to stay informed. And then I'm a news junkie. You know, I'll, I sit with my TV on pretty much all day. I'll watch news just because, you know, I need to know what's going on in the world. I need to know what the weather's going to be like next week because, it could affect what we're going to be doing. I mean, I need to put out an itinerary that has the weather report so that they know if they need to bring their rain gear where we're going. So, you know, I just try to stay on top of, um, on top of the latest and the, and the most updated news and, and just everything so that I can kind of be that source of information for our athletes. On social media, who are your most valuable follows the posts that you don't want to be missing? Hmm. Again, I hate to say it, news. When I, I took a, I tried to take a social media cleanse for a while and I, and I was so removed from everything. I was like, I don't know what's going on in the world because I feel like, you know, I hate to say it, Facebook tells me everything. I mean, so, um, you know, either ESPN.com, CBS Sports. I mean, I get alerts all day long uh, of what's going on. And CBS, you know, I think because of my, my, my relationship with CBS, you know, and ESPN, I tend to, to follow those post pretty regularly and then obviously you know the cnn's of the world but i can't miss anything from cbs because i need to know what's going on in the sports world what are a couple of books that you would recommend to others to read and 
does not have to be limited to sports by any means. Oh, I have definitely stopped reading as I've gotten older. Um, we actually, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, that's a bad one. I cannot, I don't even know what book I would recommend. Um, because I need to do a better job of reading. I'm going to pass on that one. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. that's okay. Don't tell my English teachers. They will be very <laughs> mad at me. <laughs> now I feel even worse asking you this question if your English <laughs> teacher is listening. What are you streaming? I don't stream anything. <laughs> Just the news. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I don't think I stream anything. Like, so I think, and I like to tell people, people are like, do you have children? Are you married? And I was like, I have a hundred children. Like, so when I go home at night, I don't want anybody asking me questions. I don't want anybody asking me what's for dinner. Like, I don't have to deal with you because I'm at home. So when I go home, I literally, I decompress. I'm watching mindless television <laughs> and I'm not trying to better my brain at all because my brain is nonstop from like the moment I wake up in the morning until I try to get home and, and try to unwind so yeah i don't stream anything well what's the, but the go-to mindless television i mean what's what's oh. your so those are like yeah real housewives um I'm trying to think what else obviously this is us my sappy show uh you know <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing i love the people's court um i you know if we ever get sued or if we ever do anything wrong i definitely you know that might be my backup job um <laughs> But yeah, People's Court, I'm trying to think of anything else that I've got on DVR at home. Um, But yeah, just like, um, obviously some sports shows like the game. I don't even really watch SportsCenter anymore. I mean, since I've left ESPN, you know, a lot of people are like, did you see that highlight on SportsCenter? I I can't remember the last time I looked at SportsCenter, uh, which is really sad. But um, I think this, this new world, like, is everything you need is so instant. So I'm going to get my alert. Like I'm going to get the news on my phone. So I don't need to watch sports center. I'm going to get the results. I'm just going to see the score of the game that I care about on my phone. And if I want to see the highlights, like, you know, the Xavier game last night, like I'll just watch it. I don't need to watch the highlights later on sports center. Cause I already saw what happened in the game. So I think that's just the new world that we're in of, you know, instant gratification. What's your favorite sports memory as a kid? Um, so I got into sports when I was in high school and I was actually telling this, someone asked why I got involved in sports. And I remember, um, living and growing up in Dayton, Ohio, that Dayton flyers and the university of Dayton is a big hosting venue. And my sister, and I didn't even think about it at the time, she got married in March in Dayton. So, um, her, Wedding reception was at the Dayton Marriott, which is like the nicest hotel in Dayton. And it's right across the street from the University of Dayton Arena. And so I remember being in the hotel in my hideously ugly bridesmaids dress and seeing Jimmy Jackson because Ohio State was in Dayton to play a basketball game. I think it was probably the first, second round if it was March 16th. So for me, that was like when I was like, what is this amazing thing that's going on? And I said, this is fun. And so... You know, I just kind of started following sports then. I, I'm kind of the anomaly in my family. My, no one in my family likes sports. Like, I don't really know where I come from. My family watches sports, but they don't like it, love it like I do. Like, they don't eat it and breathe it like I do. And so, you know, my sister and I will fight when I go visit her because she's like, I don't want to watch sports. And, I, you know, I've got her trained to wear Georgia red on, you know, on Saturdays. Like, you got to wear red on game day. 
Um, but she, we cannot watch the Georgia game if I'm at her house. Like she'll go in her room and watch the ID channel and, and I'll watch football. Um, but yeah, for me, it's just, you know, that experience meeting Jimmy Jackson and, you know, I met him a few years, uh, I ran into him a few years ago, kind of working uh, with CBS and, and I told him the story. And I'm like, I literally think it was 20 years ago today that I saw you for the first time. And he's like, this is kind of creepy. And why are you in the car? <laughs> and why are you driving me right now? And maybe I need to get help. <laughs> So, oh. <laughs> do you keep your credentials and if so where is that collection so i do um coronavirus actually gave me an opportunity to organize them the other, and so i was going through these opportunities these um just like these cleansing moments and so i pulled out this tub of credentials that i have and it's massive and so now i'm on the hunt if anyone on your podcast knows i'm trying to find a glass um, like a glass chest because it's that big. I mean, I have credentials. I think the one, I think I have one from 1995. Like I had some from Xavier when we were in college and some of the events, you know, work in the final four in 1997, the women's final four, you know, I found credentials from there. So I have got a huge, and now I really only try to save the ones that have my photo on them because I'm kind of snobby. If it doesn't have a picture, <laughs> You know, it's got to be really special for it to not have a picture on it. Um, but yeah, I do have a collection of credentials and I need to figure out a way to display them right now. They're all sitting in a tub in my sister's room, but they are very, they're much more organized than they were back in the day. And then I just need to figure out how to display them. I'm also a huge nerd and I collect pins from sporting events and that I've been to or different things. So I do have my huge pin collection in my office and the student athletes here like to come and check them out. I just got one from someone from the 1970 Olympics. One of our, our athletes, he had one from uh, Munich. I don't know where he got it from, but he, he added that to my collection. So that was pretty cool. Wow. Very cool. That is its own thing at the Olympic games, the pin trading, pin collecting. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. takes on a life of its own at those games. Mm -hmm. Melissa, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate hearing all your various experiences and love the advice you're able to give to younger students uh, who are pursuing a career in this crazy little world of sports. Thank you so much. Hey, if anyone's out there listening, shoot me an email. I'm more than happy to talk to anyone. I'll, I'll help. I want to bring people up just like people brought me up along the day, along my way. So um, find me on georgiadogs.com. Shoot me an email or call me on my office phone. Probably won't answer that, but shoot me an email. <laughs> but it was so much fun catching up, Pete. Thank you so much for having me today. I can assure you, Melissa absolutely means it when she says you should email her. Her address and her LinkedIn profile are on the show notes on credentialsonly.com. And while you're there, leave us your email address and we'll slide into your inbox when we have a new episode to share. The show notes also include pictures of Melissa's very impressive pin collection. So be sure to check that out. Please don't forget, show us some love with a rating and review wherever you are listening. Many thanks to Melissa for her time for this episode, to you for listening, and to Mike Michet for editing Credentials Only, which is a Holter Media production. Mm -hmm.